Welcome to Slaughterhouse Stories. I hope you enjoy the stories I have for you tonight. Hello to all you things that go bump in the night. Hello to all you humans as well. Welcome to the show that brings you creepypastas, short scary stories, and dark horror-themed poetry from all across the world. This is the Slaughterhouse Stories Podcast, Episode 33, The Clown Statue. I am your host and narrator, Ghost Train, telling you to lock your doors, get under your blankets, and keep the lights on. You can follow the show on Twitter at Iced underscore Demon or on Instagram at Slaughter underscore House underscore Stories and discuss all things spooky with me. You can also write in and have your email run the show. Email SlaughterhouseStoriesPodcast at gmail.com with creepypasta requests, stories you've written, or your own real-life paranormal encounters. Before we get to tonight's first story, I'd like to ask you a favor. If you're enjoying the show, please head over and leave a review through iTunes and help spread the word to your friends, family, the clown outside your window that wants to wear your face, whomever. Tell them, be a listener, not a victim. Now, let's get spooky. Tonight we start with a story about a marine biologist who has had a fascination with the deepest, darkest parts of the ocean for their whole life, wanting to see the true monsters that are down there, become one with them, become a monster themselves. One day, they put a plan in motion to finally get what they want. How would this turn out for them? Settle in for a relaxing tale of the open ocean and enjoy abyssal gigantism. All my life, I've been fascinated by the deep sea. 200 meters down, could not care less. 1,000 meters down, yawn. No deep in the sea. Somewhere around 2,000 meters below sea level, the abysmal zone begins. The creatures that live there will never see the sunlight. The only light they can see is that which they make themselves. Down there, in the dark, that's where the monsters are. I always had an affinity for Lovecraftian creatures, your Cthulhu and your Azathoth, but in my heart, I knew those were fiction. No, there were monsters in the world are squid larger than a building with a beak that could shatter a Humvee. Legions of shrimp grown to the size of small cars. Even in captivity, a goldfish will inevitably grow as large as this little bowl can support. So does every other fish in the sea. We could never really know how big they get. We know more about the moon than we do about the ocean floor and the creatures that live there. That mystery, that was what drove me through my undergrad, through my graduate program, and eventually through my postgrad work in some of the foremost marine biology departments in the Pacific, before I ended up working with a well-known research institute based out of Guam. All of this led up to today's expedition. Today, I would finally see my Xanadu, the Mariana Trench. It reaches almost seven miles underwater, straight down, over 11,000 meters. Somewhere in the bottom of that trench, 
there's incredible beasts of untold size, proportions, and beauty. Over the course of my career, I established myself as a steadfast, trustworthy academic. No life beyond my work, but that just let me focus on my goal. Months ago, I palmed the keys to the storeroom and the Yemma, the department's ancient expeditionary boat. I made a copy and returned the keys the next day. If anyone noticed, they said nothing. Over the course of the next few months, supplies were in the lab started to go missing. A wetsuit here, a rebreather there. No one would dare suspect a dedicated, beleaguered researcher. Maybe some poor research assistant caught hell. Not my problem. I stayed late tonight. Told my colleagues I just needed to wait for some results back. Then I promise I'll get a good night's rest. They thought my nervous shake was from my caffeine habit. Really, I just couldn't wait for them to leave. When the last man left, I waited 30 minutes, then grabbed my stash of illicit goods and made for the Emma. You don't get through 10 years of work in marine biology without knowing your way around a boat. I eased myself into the cold metal seat of the heavy pilot's chair and maneuvered the Emma smoothly out of its dock and off of campus. I knew there would be no alarms and no reason to watch for me. Still, I turned every light on the small research vessel off until I was well out of sight of land. I had a journey of hundreds of miles ahead of me, and I knew I couldn't take any chances. I couldn't lose so much work. The boat was only 25 feet or so long. It wasn't built for long journeys like this across unpredictable oceans, but I knew she had more than enough gas for one last voyage. By the time I reached the ping on my ship's navigation, the sun was beginning to peek out of the horizon to the east. I knew my department would realize Emma was missing but I couldn't make myself care. Soon they would also realize I hadn't made any substantial progress in half a year. I always did just enough, looked just busy enough, that no one would look twice. And who could question me? Now that I think of it, I don't know that I could remember a single one of their faces. None of that matters now. The only thing that does is where I am. I looked down into the dark blue ocean. It lays in wait, aching to be seen, to be felt. The Mariana Trench has been calling me all of my life, and now I can finally answer the call. I can hardly zip the wetsuit up, my hands are shaking so bad. And for my final trick, I wrench the pilot's chair free. With a length of chain I'd stashed away, I tie it to my leg. I fitted my mask with a transmitter, feeding my words directly into this document. Once the transmission ends, this will end up in the hands of someone I trust. That's you, I guess. And like that, my preparations are complete. My life's work. It's all happening now. With one final glance towards my sweet Emma and the sky behind her, I close my eyes. I hold the chair close and ease myself backwards into the deep. It's cold, but I don't mind. I think I can feel the pressure changing, welcoming me home. The embrace of my great old one. Down. 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 I only wish that I could see more. I think that's my mask cracking. I feel it coming. Soon, I will meet the ocean face to face. When the darkness rushes in to meet me, we will become one, and I will grow larger than you will ever know. I will become another beautiful, beautiful monster. They are one with the sea now, one with the monsters. Perhaps they are even a monster himself now. Maybe one day, 
you can take a journey to the trench and find out yourself. But try not to get eaten. Until then, let's move to the next story of the night. This story, credited to Mrs. Madison, is about a mother who finds herself in a new house with her family in Gettysburg, PA. Everything seems great at first, until the haunting begins. Her husband has a sudden personality change, and her daughter says a mysterious woman watches from the end of the bed as she tries to sleep. The mother finds an old diary in the attic and begins to read through, and that's when she sees things are only going to get worse from here. Listen to the turning pages and try to remain calm while listening to Diary of Abigail. Earlier, in April of this year, I had moved into a new home in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. It is clear to me that the old house is haunted. I had heard things like footsteps and tapping noises in the first couple of weeks that I had been living there. I lived there with my husband and two children. My husband is a very kind man, but after two weeks of living in that home, he became agitated and angry. My children were afraid to sleep in their rooms, especially my daughter, who had said that she had saw a woman sitting at the end of her bed. I didn't believe her at first, but when I found an old diary in the attic, there was no doubt in my mind that she saw somebody that night. I took the time to type the entries into my son's laptop so I could share the shocking findings with everybody else. The diary belonged to a girl named Abigail, and apparently, she started writing in the diary back in 1960 after her mother had died. Some of the words were misspelled, but I took the time to proofread the entries and make the changes where necessary. I'm only posting the entries that were started the day that she moved into the house. April 17th, 1962. Hello, Mother. This is the first night in my new home. I hate that I have to move and leave all of my friends, but Father got a new job and so I had to. It's a big home, and I really like my new room. Rebecca gave me a new pencil since I broke my other one last week. That's why I hadn't wrote in a while. She's so nice, but not as much as you were. I miss you, Mother. I start school tomorrow, so I should get some sleep. Good night, Mother. April 18th, 1962. I met a friend at school today. Her name is Jennifer, but everyone calls her Jenny. She said that she likes my dress, and I thought that was really nice. Father and Rebecca were arguing today. They hadn't argued in so long. I don't know what they were arguing about, but Father was really upset. I should go now. Father will probably be coming in to kiss me goodnight. I miss you so much. Good night, Mother. April 19th, 1962. I had fun at school tonight. Jenny and I played tag during recess, and I was running so fast she couldn't catch me. I saw you watching me. Did you see me wave at you? Father didn't believe me when I told him that I saw you. He never believes me. I think he still misses you, because he cries sometimes. I love you so much, Mother, and I miss you, too. Good night, Mother. April 20th, 1962. Hello, Mother. I had another fun day at school today. I was looking for you, but I didn't see you. That's okay, though. I still love you ever so much. Rebecca is calling me for supper, so I have to go now. Good night, Mother. April 22nd. 1962. Sorry that I couldn't write you yesterday, Mother. Jenny invited me to her house for a sleepover, and I had so much fun. We sung songs, 
read scary stories, and we talked about boys. Jenny likes Jacob, but I don't like boys. I think they're gross. I hear footsteps downstairs, but Father and Rebecca is sleeping. I'm scared now, Mother. I went downstairs, but I didn't see anybody. I hoped it was you. I really want to see you, Mother. I miss you ever so much. I know you told me not to cry before you died, but I can't help it. I miss you. I'm tired now. Good night, Mother. April 23rd, 1962. I'm really scared now, Mother. There was a woman sitting at the end of my bed, and I thought it was you, but it wasn't. I screamed for Father, but he didn't believe me. He said that I was just dreaming, but I wasn't dreaming, Mother. She looked right at me, and she looked really, really scary. I don't like it here anymore. I want to go home. April 24th, 1962. She's back, Mother, and I'm really scared. She's standing by the closet door, and she's just staring at me. I screamed for Father again, but he yelled at me and told me to go to sleep. I don't know why he can't see her, but she's still staring at me. Why can't you make her go away? She's scaring me, Mother. Please make her go away. April 25th, 1962. Father hit Rebecca today. He's been really mean lately, and he's scaring me. I want to go home. I don't like it here anymore. Father drinks too much now, and he's always mean to me. I think that he... May 5th, 1962. I miss talking to you, Mother. Father took my diary because he said that it's not normal to write to dead people. He said that I need professional help, but it isn't true. He took me to a lady, and she told me that I wasn't crazy. I told her that I write to you, and that there's a scary woman living in my room. She said that she believed me. Father is yelling at Rebecca. He's yelling really loudly, and he sounds really mad. So I have to go to sleep. Good night, Mother. I have no idea what this next entry is supposed to mean. There was a few pages, just filled with these numbers. If anybody knows what these numbers could possibly mean, I'd greatly appreciate it. If you'd let me know. May 8th, 1962. It just says 4, 5, 13, 15, 14, 19. Over and over again. May 9th, May 10th, May 11th, 1962. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Over and over again for all three days. May 12th, 1962. There's something inside of me, and it's eating at my soul. Help me, darling. Help me. May 1962. I'm so scared, Mother. Somebody's been writing in my diary, and I think it was Father. He's really scaring me, Mother. And I think he scared Rebecca too, because I didn't see her in days. I think she ran away, Mother. She left me here, and I thought she loved me. I wish you were here, Mother. May 17th, 1962. I saw Rebecca yesterday, Mother. She was outside, standing in the backyard. She looked at me, and her face was bleeding. I think Father really hurt her. I waved at her, but she didn't wave back. I think she's mad at me because I didn't help her. She's still out there. I think she's scared to come inside. 
I told her that father was at work, but she didn't say anything. She's scaring me now, mother. May 18th, 1962. She's dead, mother. Rebecca is dead. I found her in the attic, and there was blood everywhere. I think father killed her, and I think he wants to kill me too. I'm so scared, mother. I don't know what to do. Father just got home, and he sounds really angry. He's telling me to come downstairs, but I don't want him to hurt me. I'm going to hide under my bed. Please don't let him hurt me, mother. The writing here was really sloppy for some reason. I tried my best to make out the words. He's coming up the stairs, mother, and he's calling for me, but I don't want to move. I'm so scared, mother. His footsteps are so loud. He's in my room. He's in my room and he has a knife. A really, really big knife. He's going to find me. Please don't let him find me. I love you, mother. I wish you weak. Sadly, this is where that entry ended. On May 19th, 1962, again, it was just, if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord, my soul to take. Just that, over and over again. That is the last entry of the diary. It's shocking beyond words, and I'd never read of anything like it. I looked up the numbers online, but I couldn't find anything on it. My family and I moved out after three weeks of living there. It still haunts me to think about what would have happened if we had stayed. Please share the story. I just want to know what those numbers mean, if they mean anything at all. Four, five, thirteen, fifteen, fourteen, nineteen. D, E, M, O, N, S. Demons. They may have gotten out of the house just in time, but don't worry, listener. I'm sure somebody else will move in real soon and get to play with those demons. I hope she left a diary somewhere easy to find. While you check to make sure there are no mysterious diaries in your place, let me give you this week's recommendation. And since we are in spooky season, yes we are, don't argue. And tonight's episode features a return to the funhouse. How about some clown-based horror for you? This week, I am recommending the anthology movie, All Hallows' Eve, featuring the debut of Art the Clown. While babysitting two children on Halloween night, a young woman finds an old VHS tape in the kid's trick-or-treat bag. The tape features three tales of terror, all linked together by a murderous clown. As the night goes on, strange things begin to occur in the house. It isn't long before the babysitter learns the horrifying truth. The maniacal clown is slowly working his way into her reality. This movie is a nice way to kick off spooky season. Stop arguing. So check out All Hallows' Eve and be terrified. Now that I've given you this week's recommendation, let's take a trip down to open mic night at Basil Pump. Welcome, fiends, to open mic night at Basil Pub, where we invite you to sit right here and go into the more poetic side of fear. Poems of murder, creatures, and ghosts. All the things that scare you the most. Tonight at the pub, we start with a poem by Robert E. Howard, in a piece it sounds like someone just going through night terrors. But is it that simple? And to finish things off is a poem by Kulpik about someone enjoying a nice autumn hike on a nature path. But we know on this show 
Stories and poems are almost never what they seem. So relax, have a drink, let the verses flow into you, and listen to The Voices Wake in Memory and When a Path Isn't a Path. The blind black shadows reach in human arms to draw me into darkness once again. The brooding night wind hints of nameless harms, and down the shadowed hill a vague refrain bears half-remembered ghosts to haunt my soul, like far-off neighing of the nightmares foul. But let me fix my phantom shadowed eyes, hard on the stars, pale points of silver light. Here is the border lad, here reason lies, there, vision, griffins, Nothing and the night. Down, down, red specters. Down and rack me not. Out, walls of hell. O oh God, my pulses thrum. The night grows fierce and blind and red and hot. And nearer still, a firm insistent drum. I will not look into the shadows, no. The stars shall grip and hold my frantic gaze. But even the stars, black visions grow. And dragons writhe with iron eyes ablaze. O oh God, that raised my blindness with your curse. And let me see the horrid shapes behind, all outward veils that cloak the universe, the loathsome demon, spells that bind and bind, since even the stars are noisome, foul and foul. Let me glut deep with memory, dreams of hell. He could hear the spine of leaves, snapping with every step he took, their autumn crisp crunching cries, acquired for the whispering wind. The tall trees all surrounding, the brave and resolute little boy, their far-reaching fingertips, swaying back towards the way he had come. He took one more step further, then he questioned his direction, his arc. The cave stood huge before him, its quavering maw moaning a plea. Moisture snaked along its tongue, the rough pebbled path drew him nearer. Yes, closer. Yes, come closer. Dulcet deploring, beckoning forth. His silent mind moved forward as he was conveyed onward himself, pebbles like slathered taste buds, shifting dispersed with every step. Then panic. Retreat. A trap. A trap. Too late, it gobbled him up with a snap. There is nothing quite like night terrors. Unsure if you're dreaming or if I'm really in your room, creeping closer, ready to drag your soul away. And when are you humans gonna learn to stay away from caves? That's two times in the show where a cave wasn't a cave and you humans became lunch. Oh well, monsters have to eat too. Now let's move on from the poetry. Settle back in at home. Those are lovely curtains, by the way. And get ready for tonight's main feature and a trip to that place of endless laughter, the Funhouse.
For tonight's funhouse story, we have a babysitter settling in and getting ready to make some easy money. Just feed the kids and put them to bed. Then she gets to watch TV in the bedroom. But that's when this easy night turns into a night she'll never forget. Find out what happens. And let's see if anyone survives. As you listen to The Clown Statue. A few years ago, there was a wealthy couple who had two young children, a boy and a girl. They lived in a large house in Newport Beach, California. After taking care of their kids all week, the mother and father decided that they needed a break, so they booked a table for dinner at a nice restaurant. That evening, they called a teenage girl they knew and arranged for her to come over and babysit their children while they were out. When the babysitter arrived, the parents told her to fix supper for the kids and put them to bed. After that, you could just watch TV and help yourself to anything in the fridge, said the father. And if you wouldn't mind, said the mother, could you watch TV in our bedroom? The kids have been having nightmares recently, so if you hear them crying, you could just go in and calm them down. The babysitter happily agreed, and the parents left for their dinner date. The girl gave the children some milk and cookies, then ushered them upstairs to bed. She started to read them a bedtime story, and before long, the little boy and girl were fast asleep. After tucking them in, she switched off the lights and went to watch TV. When the babysitter walked into the parents' bedroom and sat down, she noticed that there was a creepy-looking clown statue standing in the corner of the room. She tried to ignore it, but it looked so eerie and disturbing that it sent a chill down her spine. She felt as though its eyes were staring straight at her while she watched TV. As time passed, the babysitter started to feel more and more uneasy about the clown statue. Whenever she glanced at it, she got the unsettling feeling that it had moved ever so slightly. Finally, the clown statue began to freak her out so much that she couldn't handle it any longer. She decided to go downstairs and phone the parents. When she dialed the number they left for her, the mother answered. Hi, it's me, said the babysitter. Everything's fine. The kids are fast asleep in bed. But I was just wondering, would it be okay if I watched TV downstairs? Of course, replied the father. But why? I know it sounds silly, but the clown statue is really creeping me out. The clown statue? asked the father. Yeah, the clown statue in your bedroom, the girl replied. The phone went silent for a moment. Listen to me very carefully, said the father. Take the children and get out of the house. We will call the police. Go, now. What's wrong? asked the girl. The father gulped and replied, we don't have a clown statue. For a second, the babysitter just stood there, stunned. Then she dropped the phone and raced upstairs and grabbed the children. Carrying one under each arm, she raced downstairs again and fled out into the street. Huddled on the sidewalk, comforting the two children, the babysitter looked up at the bedroom window and saw something that made her scream out in horror. Peeking out through a gap in the curtains was the white, painted face of a clown. It stared at her for a moment, then sank back into the darkness. Within minutes, the police arrived and cautiously entered the house. In the upstairs bedroom, they found a man dressed in a clown suit. When they arrested him, they found a knife concealed in his costume. The clown turned out to be a mentally disturbed midget who was a convicted murderer and a cold-blooded killer. The evil man had been stalking the family for months, lurking in their attic during the daytime and coming out to sneak around the house at night. For weeks, the children had been complaining about a clown statue that stood in their room and watched them sleep, but the parents just dismissed this as nightmares.
Oh, what a narrow escape for the babysitter and the children. Maybe next time, our vertically challenged friend won't wait quite so long to claim his victims. And I'm sure some of you were scared, but come on, surely he can't escape twice. Now, I believe there's enough scares for this week. I hope you will join me again next week for more stories that are sure to keep you afraid during the day and awake at night. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the stories that I had for you tonight. And until next time... Stay spooky.